We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? I mean, a lost Nick, but Kausavert's back. So, you know, glass half full. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's bittersweet, but probably more sweet than bitter because Levert is back. He played well, especially for someone who hasn't come back, uh, who hasn't played basketball in three months. Obviously, the Nets didn't play well. But as always, quick reminder, check us out iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But, Jack, before we talk about Lavert, let's talk about the game a little bit. Obviously, the Nets kind of blew this one, 125-106 to the Bulls. Initial thoughts? It was just one of those games, Nick, where the Bulls just had an answer for everything. Um, you know, you got Laurie Ma- Larry Markin and Otto Porter, these sort of guys, their starters just absolutely destroyed us. Um, and we just didn't have an answer for them on the defensive end. You know, there were times where we would go on some mini runs. Joe Harris would hit a few buckets here and there. Dealer would hit a few buckets. Karras would provide a little spark on the defensive end. But then the Bulls would just counter. And, you know, tonight, despite the fact, I mean, most people didn't expect us to win the Denver game. No, we were expected to win this game. Um, so, I mean, the, the NBA is a funny place. And we, we've said many times, and I've, I've said many times as well, that you can't bank these wins, despite the fact that the Bulls, you know, should be tanking. Um, you know, the players out there are, are not going to be doing that in any form of stretch of the imagination. So, uh, certainly uh, a, 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 a not the best performance, to say the, to say the least. But um, there were some things to take away in terms of individual players. Yeah, for sure. And I, like you said, you know, in terms of performance, the Nets just got outplayed. You know, Chicago wanted to win this game. The Nets were looking for the sweep tonight. They beat Chicago the other times they played them this year. I think they had a six-game winning streak carrying over from the previous season as well. So Chicago is kind of due for one, and they shot really well. And uh, that was 54% from the field, 50% from three. And some of that, though, was the Nets' defense giving them easy shots to kind of get their rhythm going early. Yeah, I mean, the zone seemed to work whenever it was on, for the most part, and when the, and when the guys were engaged there. And, you know, we'll talk about Carlos Levert. Uh, whenever he was on the floor and, you know, making steals and making plays on the defensive end, um, it, it seemed that we were a positive 
Uh, and, and I mean, his plus minus does reflect that. But in all the ways that the Nets like to play, the Bulls sort of counted and beat us in our own game. Like you said, three-point shooting. They had more free throws. They had more points in the paint. They destroyed us in the rebounding department. So you're not going to win in a game if you don't win any of those key indicators. And like you talked about, new addition, Otto Porter looked really good. You know, seven and nine, four or five from three. Marketing was just a problem. Really, the Nets had nobody that could defend him. 18 rebounds. I got to think that's probably close to his career high. He had very close to it against us last time as well when we had the win too. Um, I believe he out-rebounded all of our starters. Um, it, yes, if I'm not mistaken, he did. You know, Jared Allen had 10 himself, a nice little double-double. But, you know, uh, Russell only had one. Graham only had uh, Graham didn't have one. Kouritz had one and Harris had two. And I think um, a, a lot of the time, you know, in the past, you know, but when we saw Coach Kenny drag D'Angelo that game against Boston, it was for rebounding purposes. So I think the emphasis on the boards, um, you know, uh, I think it's a simple thing. And, and we talk about it at length and it seems trivial, but um, if you are rebounding well, you are going to win more games than, than not. Um, and, and that... Re- and if you just show energy on the glass, you know, offensive and defensive, uh, it's going to go a long way. Yeah, for sure. And I think a big reason for the Nets winning stretch, and we've talked about this, rebounding percentage has been really high. You know, it's been like top uh, top 10 over the last two months. So if they can kind of keep that up, stay active. And rebounding does take a lot of energy, and they're a smaller team, so they're going to have to do it as a group. But, Jack, let's talk about some of the players who played well tonight. We'll talk a little bit about the bad players, and then we'll finish it off with just a pure Karis LeVert segment, which he deserves. But let's start I with mean, some of the guys who played good on the Nets side. Which he deserves, Nick. I mean, I'm surprised you didn't want to just tile this to the Karis LeVert podcast, forget about the game, and just chat for 30 minutes about every single little play he had. <laughs> if you look at my Twitter feed today, like, there's probably like 15 to 20 Karis LeVert tweets and retweets. <laughs> I mean, why not, man? Um, but who do you want to bring up first? Uh, I thought Alan Crabb, you know, I thought he played a good game. 19 points, 7 to 12 from the field, 5 and 9 from 3, looked confident. You know, he didn't look bad out there. Loved um, the form, Nick. You know, we've talked about that in terms of a lot of other guys. Um, you know, Demario Carroll wasn't great tonight, but a lot of guys, when you can just tell that they're spry, their legs look good, um, their rotation looks good, and just their control on the shot. And Crab looked confident out there. Um, and, and I think that's a positive sign. I mean, obviously, there was that rumor going around about um, him and the, and the Denver Nuggets um, pick for Garrett Temple and Jermichael Green, which would have been a nice enough trade. But Crab is proving his value. And I think when him and Joe Harris were out there, we did look dangerous at times, just not from long enough stretches. So um, I think it's positive, the fact that he is hitting that shot. But at the same time, he was hitting other things. Um, and, and I think the fact that he's gotten back to it so quickly um, it is a surprise because, you know, we've criticized him in the past in terms of his ability to sort of, you know, work his way into the game. You know, he had 30 minutes last game, 21 minutes tonight. You know, the, the coaching and training staff uh, are magnificent there in Brooklyn. So the fact that he's already performing at this level uh, is positive, but um, we hope that he can continue to do the same thing in wins. And I think it's really positive that he's doing it early on. You know, like you talked about, he kind of gets off to these cold stretches early in the season or coming back from injury. This has to give him some confidence and the net some confidence. And you mentioned that Joe Harris and Alan Crabb lineup. It was a lot with Shabazz. And, you know, we've talked about it. Shabazz isn't the most amazing passer. So when Dilmany gets back, I think that could take it to another level or playing those guys both with D'Angelo Russell. 
I think that's a great point, Nick. You know, I think the addition of, of Spencer Dinwiddie with the already, you know, great depth that we have, you know, playing um, 11 guys tonight, obviously, Carousel about 15 minutes, Ronde 17, Ed Davis 13. So um, I think you add a 12th guy in there. Um, Shabazz is probably the odd man out, like you sort of mentioned. There will be nights where, where he'll see some minutes here and there. And, you know, he had a great game uh, against Denver. So I think it's, it's, it's matchup dependent, like you mentioned, but, you know, Crab being a wing, Crab being a three-point shooter, um, he's super important at right now. Despite the fact that yes, his contract isn't amazing, and he might not be a Brooklyn net for the future, but for this season and what we're trying to achieve, if we can have him, Harris firing, and all our other guys, um, they're complementary and they're our best guys in the perimeter. When you have your best three-point shooters in a heavily predicated three-point shooting uh, outfit, then it's going to do wonders. Yeah, and both those guys, you know, combined shot pretty well tonight, you know, 8 of 16. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. that's a good number. We can get that consistently throughout, you know, this rest of the season. And some of the other guys just kind of step up. D'Lo probably had one of his first off games from three in a while, one of eight, and a couple of them went halfway down. So I think the Nets also, we talked about uh, the bad defense, but also on their offensive end, they just missed a lot of open threes, and they missed shots that they usually hit. Yeah, and that happens. I mean, you, you're due for a letdown to an extent after the, the insane stretch we had against Denver. But, you know, the, the looks Dilo was getting, like you mentioned, Nick, were pretty good. Uh, they were in and out a lot of the time. And uh, even on a down night, he still has 23, 23 and six and two steals. Um, I like you know, the six in, free throws too. I do as well. I, I thought it seems to me these past two or three games, I know you've mentioned on your Twitter, make sure you're following him at OTG Nick, um, the attack and dexterity he has around the rim, he just seems a little more confident there. Yeah, and he even missed a couple layups tonight, too, that I felt like he could have made on a regular basis. And there's probably a couple calls he could have gotten, too. So I think he's just starting to have a better feel for the game and get some of that confidence and understanding and you know getting the fouls at the free throw line or if that's at the three-point line where he's done a better job of catching people reaching and doing almost that little James Harden or caroling, whatever you want to call it, and getting those easy free throws. Yeah, I think uh, it might be a generalization to say this, but it might be a lefty thing. I know you said Damari Carroll does it, and he's done it consistently. He does it. I know he does it probably a, a lot more frequently from around the sort of mid-range area, but he has done it from the three-point line. Um, but you know, I I just think that there's just an, a, a weird way of like, makes sense to be honest. Yeah, defending, you know, a guy with an opposite hand, it's a little trickier. And, you know, obviously, you know, the majority of the league is right-handed. So, um, but yeah, it's certainly a positive sign. And I think, you know, it'll, um, if he continues to, you know, have nights where, you know, he might have one or two, but if there's a night here or there, he has five plus, you know, they'll put the naysayers to bed because it just rounds out his game uh, even more so. Yeah, for sure. And that's just like something he'll probably develop even a little bit more as he gets stronger too. You know, obviously we talked about, he's still only 22 years old, which just feels crazy to talk about. Like he's so young and he's getting experience. He's going to be in the all-star game. Any other nets though, Jack, uh, stick out to you in a positive light. You know, Dilo didn't have an amazing game, but I thought he was okay. He wasn't great, but anybody else have a good game in your eyes? I, I liked Joe Harris at stretches. Yeah. Um, I, I think when we came back, Nick, uh, in, in certain portions of the third and fourth, Joe Harris was was really strong there. And it wasn't necessarily the three-point shooting. It was, you know, his strength and, and ability to drive to the rim and, and finish with both hands. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, maybe I might do a cheeky little breakdown on Karis LeVert, obviously, but I might have to do one on, on Alan Crabb and or Joe Harris because both of those guys were great. And, and I, I just love the attack from Joe Harris. And yeah, he's not the, you know, craftiest, quickest guy, but he has strength and he has composure. 
Yeah, he has the ability to just finish a lot of different angles and position his shoulders in a way where he can get the shot up even after contact. And there, you know, like you talked about, he had a couple runs of his own. And I like the way he uses those reverse layups too, especially with a bigger defender using the rim to protect the ball. Obviously, Joe has continually been solid, and some of the other Nets can definitely benefit uh, studying his game in terms of like cutting to the rim and just getting those layups in. I'm excited to see Karras now back, another driver to go along with Joe, who somebody can get in there. Obviously, they're different games, but just having that ability ability to kind of just straight straight line attack the rim yeah having our two boys out there at the same time yes it's gonna be fun (laughs) it is it is Um, wonders for this pod (laughs) (laughs) Uh, jack anybody else on the positive light though um i'd like to jared allen in moments you know nice little double double a couple offensive rebounds um he showed you know and and as well he got a block as well I, i it wasn't a perfect game um, his free throw shooting was good as well, four free throws. So um wasn't, you know, necessarily an outstanding game from Jared Allen. But, you know, we've talked about him in the past in terms of being, you know, a, a little bit lackadaisical and not aggressive enough. But he seems to be showing, you know, a, a little more aggression um, and, and, you know, just a, a bit more composure and confidence. And, you know, he's going to grow from this. Yeah, he wasn't amazing, like you said. He had a probably a solid game. I think Robin Lopez bullied him a little bit. Obviously, there's a big weight difference there. One play that really stuck out for me from Jared Allen in the game, it might have been the first bucket of the game or one of the first 10, where he got like that loose ball and he just went to the rim and kind of glided and almost had like a guard move. Yeah, that layup was just like, wait, you're seven foot, yeah? I was just <laughs> like, that, that, and like he like went sort of like under Lopez. He like used like his sort of leaping. The, obviously, Robin Lopez isn't like, you know, Brooke. Uh, we, we know we love our boy Brooke. Um, he's not a he's not a rim protector in any sense of the word, but to still go up against a big guy and you know attack the basket off the dribble, um, it was a heck of a move, and, and you know one that was you know certainly uh, eye opening. Yeah, it definitely was. And I think, like you mentioned, he's been more aggressive over the last few games, and he can kind of continue to build on that confidence as the season progresses. We saw him have a little bit of a downstretch, and now he's kind of bounced back from that. I'm interested to see what he'll do post-All-Star break. Obviously, last year was big for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, he's just going to continue to grow. 29 minutes as well, you know, outside of uh, D'Angelo. He had the most, oh, sorry, outside of D'Angelo and Joe Harris uh, had the most minutes, you know, uh, the only guy who was close to 30. So um, it, it's it's going to bode well for him going forward. You know, you talked about, you know, D'Angelo Russell, 22 years old, starting center for the Brooklyn Nets right now as a 20-year-old. So um, it, it's pretty bright future we have there in Brooklyn if these guys uh, stick around. 100% and the fact that they're just so young they can mesh together for years but Jack going to the negative side uh who probably played the worst game tonight in your eyes uh probably Ronde and uh, I mean uh, it's it, it pains me to say it a little bit I mean Rodion's Kuritz wasn't amazing either but um I think Ronde probably made maybe okay probably uh Rodion's uh because Ronde made up for a little bit with his rebounding uh, but neither of those guys really provided much value when they were on the floor. You know, 17 and nine minute, 19 minutes uh, apiece. It, it just seemed like, you know, Rodion's look good. As soon as he hit that three early, it's just like, okay, that should give him a little bit of confidence. But uh, other than that, it just seemed like, you know, uh, Larry Markkinen was the Euro to watch tonight. But uh, it wasn't the best game from either of them. You know, Shabazz as well, minus 13 and 12 minutes uh, mm-hmm. certainly isn't amazing. Uh, it wasn't a good game. Uh, from our sort of lesser lights and from the for the most part even against a team like the Chicago Bulls you need to have everyone stepping up and contributing in a positive fashion 
Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. You know, Rondé, Rodions, and Chabaz, they all pl- pretty much played bad games. You know, Rondé was just out of control at times. He just, just isn't patient. Like, he can just go to the rim and he'll have a wide-open layup and he'll try to, like, go up on the other side and do some crazy stuff where it's just, like, kind of relax and lay it in. And like you said, Rodions hit his first three. You thought maybe he'd hit a few more threes. He hasn't been quite as aggressive the last few games, kind of driving to the rim. Maybe he's kind of hitting that rookie slump or, you know, he needs the rest from the All-Star weekend. And then Shabazz, he almost played like the opposite of game of what we saw, you know, against Denver. He wasn't really getting the offense going. Some of that was Chicago blitzing him a lot. And then obviously he wasn't able to knock down any shots and uh, Markin and blocked him badly two times. Yeah, big time. And, you know, Markin obviously isn't, you know, an, an athletic-ish guy and isn't necessarily known for his sort of, you know, defense and rim protection. So for that to happen to Shabazz, you could sort of see it coming. It's just like, don't put it up, don't put it up. Yeah, that was always going to happen. Um, <laughs> it it's was like sort when of you're going up against, like, your little cousin or when you're the little cousin, you're going against your bigger cousin. Like, you know you're not getting the shot over the top if you're standing still. Exactly. Um, and, you know, he tried to push his way off. But, you know, Shabazz is going to have his up and down moments and people are going to get frustrated at him. But he has been a positive for the Nets this season, um, lo and behold. Uh, so, you know, obviously it, it sucks when you have three key rotation guys, you know, down. But you add in a guy, you know, again, we've still got, you know, two key guys to sort of come back. I'm not necessarily naming Jared Dudley a key guy, but a guy who can soak up some, some minutes at that wing position where, you know, Rodion's, um, you know, probably... In terms of the, the the inverse, what we were sort of saying in early in the season where Jared Dudley's playing too many minutes, and now it seems the, uh, to be the fact that, you know, Rodin's probably playing too many minutes, and if we had a guy like, you know, Jared Dudley, they'd be able to balance each other out in, in a similar sort of fashion. Yeah, it's like the Nets have all these guys who can kind of play the forward position in Rodion's, uh, Rondé, Trevion Graham, and Jared Dudley. If they could combine two of them together, they'd be in really good shape, but they're all kind of bring something different to the table. And like you said, getting back to your Dudley, I'll just give them that true stretch for somebody who can actually knock down the three-point shot more consistently. I know his numbers aren't great, but he is respected from there. And he has a better feel for just, you know, NBA offenses and NBA defense. He's just that veteran you kind of need sometimes where these guys are either inconsistent and you need to bring in someone who can stabilize it a little bit. Like we said, he's not amazing, but he knows how to play. Yeah, I think stabilizing and stabilizer is, is a really good way to describe it, Nick. Thank you, Jack. And uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, we, we don't even have to really talk about him. We know what he'll bring back when he comes. He's When do you think we'll see him back? Obviously, Karras was like really ahead of schedule, at least for the most part. We thought we'd see him maybe the last week of February or the first week of March. But what do you think about Dinwiddie? Do you think an express recovery from him or still about the same timeline? Well, yeah, they said three to six. So obviously it, it leaves you with a lot of leeway. And obviously when the news came out, the, the Nets were going to give themselves as much leeway as possible. Um, I honestly have no indication or, or, no, sort of, or, or no sort of opinion on it, Nick. Um, so uh, I think it was nice to see him on the bench tonight as well. And, you know, his Twitter fingers are certainly working okay. He's probably using the opposite hand or, you know, not using the thumb, even though it's extremely important um, when you're using your phone and, and, and tablet and such. But, um, I think that when he comes back, he will be ready. I think that in, like, when you're sort of talking about Alan Crabb and Carlos Levert, because it's a thumb injury, it's not necessarily going to take away from any of his conditioning. He can still work out. He can still do plenty. You know, maybe work with the offhand and, and sort of, and that sort of thing. You know, Carlos Levert, when he was sort of saying, you know, he's like, uh, in, in sort of promo videos, he's like, he wants to come back better. And, you know, we saw tonight, you know, some flashes of, of things that we see and expect from him, but you don't expect so early on. So to have that confidence is, um, is is interesting but it, it's very it's a very positive sign 
Yeah, and I think you made a great point about Spencer able to kind of keep in shape. And obviously when he comes back, you know, his three-point shot is kind of hot and cold anyways, but what he's really going to bring is the driving to the rim and creating for others, and that's what we still miss. Obviously, hopefully Karras getting healthy and, you know, his minute count going up, I think he'll be best off leading that second unit, at least until yeah, Spencer's I, back. Definitely, and I think in terms of that driving, obviously D'Angelo's done a, a lot better of late, like we mentioned a little bit earlier, but it opens up for, for guys that we talked about in Joe Harris and Alan Crabb, you know, two real key marksmen from that area that thrive on open space. You know, Joe Harris is the, one of the best three-point shooters in the league, and Alan Crabb uh, throughout seasons in his career in, in Portland and in, in Brooklyn has been one of the best three-point shooters as well. Um, so, you know, having that driving ability just opens up so many spaces on the floor. Yeah, especially two guys who have been probably in like the top 50 in terms of driving numbers in uh, Dinwiddie and Levert, getting them back and seeing them kind of hit all cylinders at the same time. It's going to be really exciting when we get Dinwiddie, D'Lo, and Levert all healthy. But talking Levert, obviously this was his first game back after missing three months. You know, he played uh, 14 minutes, 11 points, 5-11 from the field, 0-3 from three, uh, two rebounds, four assists, and uh, career-tying five steals. That's that, that five steals is what sticks out to you, Nick. And I know that, you know, you were super excited about his defense, but I don't think many of us expected five steals from him <laughs> in, in his first bloody game back. Um, he, he was sensational. Um, you know, putting up 11 shots in 15 minutes, obviously a little bit of a chucker there, but I'd rather have those 11 shots from him than, you know, the, the five or so shots from Shabazz Napier. So um, he was great. Um, he was absolutely awesome. You know, the, the, we talked about off wax, the fact that, you know, despite the fact he didn't hit the three-point shot, it looked fluid and comfortable enough. So once he hits that one, um, it, it'll certainly open up the floor from him. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean... You know, uh, the arc for him and D'Angelo Russell on that shot has is something noticeable that we've sort of talked about on the buzz before. But, you know, so many great moments from him, especially on the defensive end. You know, earning that and one play, you know, drawing the contact has to leave him feeling confident going forward. Um, and he was fearless. He was really fearless. Yeah, I thought he would be a little bit more timid, especially driving. I thought maybe the first couple of minutes he was. But then after that, he attacked the pain. He got a couple and ones. He kind of even made a shot and then fell to the ground. Everyone was probably like holding their breath. But he got up. He was okay. Everything was fine. And like you said, the defense. And we talked about that, you know, a week or two after the injury. You know, the Nets missed him offensively. They missed his playmaking and everything. But defensively, they really missed his perimeter defense. And now in the zone, he was really active too. That length had an impact. And getting five steals, you know, some of it is luck. But some of it's just being in the right place at the right time and having those uh, those quick hands, that length, and just the anticipation. Yeah, I think we talked about Carroll with his steal game uh, against Denver as well. So sometimes I think it, it's going to be like you talked about with the zone, Nick. It's going to be emblematic of it. You know, it, it might be one night it might be Karras. One night it might be Rodion's. You know, one night it might be Damari. One night it might be Trevion. But the, you have a guy like Karras Levert to add to, you know, the defensive arsenal that we're bringing it back, you know, despite the fact that Ronda hasn't been great from there. Um, but Karis Avert, you know, is probably one of, if not our best defenders. And he certainly proved it tonight. And, you know, um, you know the first sort of assist as well to Damari and Carroll, um, he hasn't lost any of that game feel, which is normally sort of one thing that you just sort of got to get your legs back and sort of just, you know, read the floor a little bit. But he looked comfortable. And I think that's probably the number one thing that uh, most pundits and, and coaching staff and medical staff would be most comfortable with. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, I was surprised how good he looked and how comfortable he looked on the floor with his teammates and not playing so long. And obviously all of their games have adjusted. Even the rotations have changed. You know, there might have been lineups he's never even played with before. And he went out there and he was able to get some assists too. Definitely. You know, he just, every every single play as it went on, 
on both ends of the floor, especially offensively. He seems to be more and more and more comfortable, more and more and more confident. And and that should bode well um, f- for the Nets and should be, you know, a worry for plenty of other teams in the Eastern, Eastern and Western Conference because uh, this kid was playing some insane basketball, was, you know, most improved player. You know, we've put out some videos on our, on our Twitter pages and, and for Nets Republic. Um, he's just a tremendously talented player and you know, still only 24 years old and he's, he's just got plenty of basketball left ahead of him and uh, he's in the perfect system. And uh, it, it was just really nice and to see that ovation from him from the crowd as well. Um, it, it was just a wonderful moment and a wonderful night for Karras. It was nice to see other people in the NBA also excited for him. You know, different NBA players. I think I saw Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, you know, some of the guys around the league. And then even after the game, Marketing was giving him a hug. You know, like, it's good to see Karras get the love that he deserves because he's been, you know, like you were mentioning, a most improved player, but he's also a great person too. Yeah, the NBA is a community, Nick, you know, in so many senses of the word in terms of, you know, internally with all the the heap of players that are around there on NBA Twitter, Nets Twitter, you know, the, the love being shown is, is is a key reason why we love uh, this game. We we love this team and we love to report about it and talk about it. Um, it was just a, such a positive night despite the result. And hopefully, you know, a, a few games before the, the All-Star break, we get a few results that go our way. Exactly. You know, obviously Toronto is going to be a tough one. Cleveland, the Nets have a pretty good chance in that one, obviously. But uh, Jack, do you think we'll see Karis LeVert starting again this season? Uh, I believe so, Nick. You know, unless there are obviously any hiccups along the way, which, you know, knock on wood, we don't see that in any sort of sense of the word. Uh, But uh, it makes sense. You know, he forced his way in the preseason uh, to be a starter. And, you know, no one necessarily expected it from him. We talked about him at length and the fact that, you know, Jared Dudley, Ed Davis, all these guys were raving about him in the preseason. It's just like, this guy's carving us up. Um, so I think it'll be sooner rather than later. And I think he probably will replace a guy like Rodion's. And I think that that probably makes the most sense. Um, and, and I think it could benefit him um, probably after the All-Star break is my estimation. Yeah, I definitely don't think it'd be before the All-Star break. It might even be not to the first week of March, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was right after the All-Star break if he's still looking good against Toronto and Cleveland. With the two days off in between, I wouldn't be pretty surprised we saw him against the Raptors, you know, maybe just 20 minutes and then like 20 minutes against Cleveland. Then he's got pretty much almost a whole week to rest. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Alan Crabb, you know, started off with 13 minutes, Kara started off with 15, and Alan Crabb increased to 21 minutes. So uh, I think you're pretty much on the money there, Nick, in terms of the fact that we could see him, you know, hit that sort of 20, 20 to 22 minute mark, you know, anywhere from 18 to 22, whatever you want to call it, depending on how the result is and how he's looking out there. But um, it, it's just, we can't speak, you know, highly enough for this kid and, and the way that he's playing basketball and the way that he conducts himself. And I, we're both in agreement, so we'll probably see him in the starting lineup again. Now, you brought up Rodion's, and, you know, the talk on Nets Twitter has been the stretch four position and Markeith Morris. What are your thoughts on that? Or is there anybody else in the buyout market you'd like to see the Nets go after or Markeith Morris would be a good ad? Uh, I think Mark if Morris would be a good-ish ad. Um, I'm not necessarily 100% sold at him. You know, he, he can score. His effective field goal percentage isn't amazing. His PR is, you know, eh. And his field goal percentage from three for his career you know is under 34 percent uh so it's not like that he's this you know magical stretch for you know bobby portis is killing it in washington for now for some reason so is jabari parker uh, that was great OG. yeah i know when i saw the tweet from whoever was holding down the otg like, what what what's Corey talking about is that like a typo um but yeah, I, I think that a lot of other like Nets Twitter are, are really like hanging on to the idea of like a guy like Aaron Gordon. But I, I think that we just see see this through, Nick. Uh, I think that's probably seems like the most likely uh, scenario in terms of 
when it comes to the buyout um, market, the number, t- the two th- the two key indicators are: do you want to win a ring, and do you want to get minutes and get another contract? And I think Markeith Morris is going to go to the team that will probably give him the most minutes, so he can earn that new contract. Same with Wesley Matthews, which is why he's been linked to. The- has he been picked up by the Pacers or just linked very heavily there? I think it's pretty much confirmed that he's going to go to the Pacers and Ellington's going to go to Detroit. Like, it's, yeah. I don't think they officially signed, but it's pretty much almost a guarantee at this point. And and Ellington will get a tremendous amount of time to to show his worth for Detroit. So I don't think Markeith Morris would get 30 minutes a night for, for the Nets and, and just a walk-up sort of starter for us, um, despite the fact that he is, you know, a, a very serviceable NBA player and a guy that will probably be in, around the league for, you know, another few years uh, at least. So um, I, I think he could solve some issues. Um, but if I were him... Uh, and this isn't to say that, you know, we shouldn't, you know, go after a guy like him if he's willing to sort of, you know, make sacrifices. But if I were him, I would be, you know, I'd, I'd have my agent calling who's going to be offering me the most minutes and the most opportunity to shut my stuff so I can, you know, get that new contract from, you know, the current team or some new team. Uh, I think someone on some podcast compared, you know, when Joe Johnson went to Miami in the buyout market and it was a surprise. I, no, it was Brian Windhorse. And the fact that he was going to go to Cleveland, you know, just get that ring. Went to Miami, got himself a two-year contract in Utah following that. So um, I think you need to take in way into those two factors when you're, you're looking at guys in the buyout market. Yeah, no, that's 100% spot on, Jack. You know, some guys are looking for chips. Some guys are looking for the next contract. You know, Mark Keefe, he could definitely be looking for that next contract. Also, we got to point out he is injured at the time. He does have some type of neck injury, and I believe he was looking for a second opinion. So it's not like he'd instantly be able to play as well. He'd definitely be probably an upgrade to some of the guys in the roster, but I don't think he's a starter or an above-average starter at this point. You know, there's a reason that people want to see different starting lineups in Washington. Yeah, definitely. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the Nets don't really need another guy who's on the on the pine. We need a guy who can come in and sort of contribute for us. So I, I think that there might be maybe other guys uh, out there in the market, but I, I think that we probably more than likely see this team, you know, ride it out. And in terms of we can, we t- we've spoken about before, you know, Dante Cunningham was an ad at the trade deadline last season. If, if the Nets can add a little bit of value and, you know, Dante Cunningham is a stretch four. Um, so I don't think that, you know, we see any, you know, dramatic moves you know they'll probably be making calls Sean Marks always is uh, does his due diligence but um I, I think that this team with what we have right now is still you know good enough to make the playoffs with with teams around us not necessarily making many moves or um doing uh, much to sort of you know solidify themselves in that sort of range but um the nets are going to be okay and if we don't get that four now then we might get in the future guys just patience exactly. is a virtue I agree. I think there's no point in kind of rushing. And I think that probably last roster spot's going to end up with Theo Pinson if I had to make a guess because his two-way contracts has to be coming up uh, close to end. So obviously, you know, they'll probably make the calls, like you said, Jack, but this is most likely the roster. You know, if Rodion starts the rest of the season or whoever starts the forward position, they change around. Maybe Damari gets in there like we've talked about. Who knows? Because they will have more depth if they do get healthy. And who knows? Like the team could change and you might not even worry about the four. They could be playing a lot smaller and the guys could be stepping up on the outside. So I yeah, don't, definitely. I'm not really, uh, like you said, it's it's almost like playing with house money. I hate to say that term, but I think we've talked about it a little bit, you know, on a prior show. It's like they're at a point right now where they're farther than we expect them to be, and they're still about development. You still want to develop a lot of these young guys. There's no need to go make a rash move and try to trade your first-round pick for Miritich or something at the deadline. Obviously, the only move they made was to pick up the pretty much free second-rounder for Greg Monroe. Other than that, they were active, but they weren't going to go and risk the future for anybody. 
Yeah, I mean, we have we had 11 guys that played tonight and two other guys to come in, in Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Dudley, that will definitely earn minutes. So, you know, there's only so many bodies out there, so many mouths you can feed. So with Markeith Morris, um, I, I'm a no, and it seems unlikely. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, like, I wouldn't hate it, but I'm not, like, advocating for it, and it's not like he's going to upgrade the team to a big degree. Like, I'd rather probably see those minutes go to some of the younger guys. And like you said, other guys coming back, there's only so many minutes on the team. Were you happy about getting the extra second round pick? Obviously, right? Oh, of course. You know, obviously, Sean Mucks just taking on something. And, and I think, you know, the, the price for, for a second rounder um, in terms of it was 3.5 mil that the Golden State Warriors gave for, for a guy like Jordan Bell. So obviously, the Toronto Raptors, we don't know where that um, it was it 2023 or 24. 2021 actually i believe and that's okay. supposedly supposed to be the year you know when high school players might enter the draft or you know the raptors i brought this up on twitter you know Kawhi doesn't resign now all of a sudden they have marcus soul and kyle lowry and maybe they're trying to sell and rebuild that roster who knows you know what i mean they could drop off by that time if they don't resign Kawhi. definitely um uh, a, a nice little savvy move that uh, probably not a lot of people probably paid attention to but you know most guys will uh, most gms will pay you know a, a few million for for a second rounder and the fact that you know it, it costs you know some penny change and some money sent down messiah jury's way um these two teams you know like to deal and, and they've both benefited from it in the past yeah exactly the nets are really happy what happened last time they got draft picks from toronto so mm -hmm. jack any other final thoughts before we get out of here uh, just hopefully we can uh, put up a, a better performance against Toronto, Nick, and we see some continued uh, good form from our boy, Karis Avert. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see how they play against Toronto. It's like a, definitely a bounce-back game. Can you kind of call them out after the game, not playing hard, you know, not playing great defense? Obviously, Toronto might be their first game with Marcus Gasol. They're going to be kind of juiced up. I think the Nets want to just compete in that one and give themselves a chance at the end. You know, it's going to be a hard win to get, but at least if they put themselves an opportunity to maybe steal one. Yeah, beat them before. Kyle Lowry's obviously having his back issues. You know, Kawhi rests every, you know, 40 games this season or whatever. Maybe we'll get be. lucky it's a rest game. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? You know, funny things have happened in this league. And um, Toronto are going to be a dangerous team in the playoffs. But, you know, this is the, the these are the sort of games that you crave as, as a Nets fan and, and as a Nets player to sort of uh, prove yourself. Yeah, and Jack, obviously we've got Cleveland after that, and then we'll have the All-Star Weekend. We'll talk about that. As always, a pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Check us out, iTunes, Bob Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.